Hi, this is Greg Voison, inviting you to listen to the latest Inside Personal Growth podcast number 899 with author Kevin Cullen about his new book entitled Swerve, Life-Altering Wisdom from Saints, Masters, and People Like You and Me. This podcast number 899 is brought to you by David Corbin, author of a new book entitled The Illuminated Brand, Building a Culture That Remains Brand-Centric Even Under Pressure. In this interview, we talk about integrity, branding, relationships, and in all of these, his advice is to always wake up the F's up, face up, follow up, and fix it. Face the fact that you have a brand and a brand reputation, whether it's on purpose or not. You have a brand and you have brand descriptors. Wake up the F up, face those brand descriptors, and follow them. I hope you enjoy the engaging and illuminating podcast with author David Corbin. You can learn more about David, his book, and mentoring programs at www.davidcorbin.com. That's www.davidcorbin.com. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Kevin Cullen about his new book entitled Swerve, Life-Altering Wisdom from Saints, Masters, and People Like You and Me. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Kevin, for all my listeners and for you as well, um, I've been doing this almost 15 years with 900 podcasts. I think you are actually 900, to be honest with you. And, <laughs> and we have Kevin Cullen on with us this morning. And Kevin's going to be speaking about his new book called Swerve. A life-altering wisdom from saints, masters, and people like you and me. It's filled with great stories. Anybody who's out there, we're going to have a link to Amazon. Uh, Go pick this book up if you actually want to get some great stories and ways you can alter your life. And we're going to be talking to Kevin about that. But Kevin, I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you um, so that they know who you are. He's the president of Ladaria Consulting Group, Kevin's expertise and commitment to the development of leadership skills within organizations has allowed business leaders to define and seize growth opportunities, rapidly improve performance, build the culture, and attain specific measurable business results within their organizations. He has over 30 years of experience providing business consulting, training, and development to individuals and Fortune 500 companies. He's trained and worked with leaders at all levels of organizations, design, deliver, and implement change initiatives to produce exceptional business results. Prior to this, Kevin delivered transformational courses and seminars for over 15 years in the public sector for more than a quarter of a million people. Um, Kevin, it's great. What is the website you would direct people to go to to learn more about you? It's www. Lead Era, L-E-A-D-E-R-A, C-G, for consulting group, dot com. So, LaderaCG.com. Well, it's great having you on, and it's always an opportunity to learn from authors, from their experiences, which I have learned a lot. So, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you chose to write Swerve. This is your first book. You and I had a pre-interview. Um, you haven't written other books. And what you hope the listeners can take away from this book 
and literally uh, implement in their life. Okay. I'll start by answering the first question a little bit about myself. Um, I uh, am born to two Irish immigrants. So I'm a first generation American. I grew up in Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s when Los Angeles was a really great place to live. I mean, it was really, it was, it was miraculous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have, uh, uh, you know, two brothers, uh, I was two brothers and a sister, um, sisters named Siobhan, brothers named Niall and Dermot. And uh, so we all have Irish names. Okay. So we got, we, we, our parents came over here, both of which became U.S. citizens. Um, I was raised uh, in the Catholic faith. I was, you know, Irish Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school, nuns and Christian brothers. So, but I did grow up in L.A. and in L.A. in the 70s, it was quite an interesting place. So there was all the things that were happening in the 70s. But there was a lot to do is, you know, so I grew up playing baseball and the weather was always great. I surfed. Um, uh, I went to lots of concerts. I, I'm probably fanatical about live music. I just love live music. I go to lot, and to this day, I still do. Um, when I, you know, when a time came to go to college, I decided that my life was really about, you know, serving or making a difference. And so I wanted to go into politics and, uh, my major was, I chose political science as a major. And uh, I was, you know, you're looking at the former future president of the United States or something like that. And um, so around that time, I got into uh, an English class in college and I had this very interesting professor and um, it was very entertaining because he spoke differently than anybody I'd ever met. So he would he would talk and then he would say something like, and that's okay unless it's not, which is okay too. And he would say, he just, he, he just said this strange way of phrasing things and, and contextualizing things. So at the end of the, one of the classes, I went up to him and I said, can I ask you a question? Where did you learn to talk like that? I don't know anybody that talks like you. And he said to me, he got this very serious look. And he said, I attended a course that took four days. And I learned more in that four days than I've learned in the course of my life. And I have two master's degrees all my formal education. And he said that, and he said it so matter-of-factly, and I said, I looked at him, you know, a little flippantly, and I said, well, what, what am I doing here? Where do I, go? Where do I go? So he told me about this, this seminar that I went down and I took, uh, an introductory seminar. I went down, it was a Friday night. I was going to a party. I just wanted to go in, sign up for whatever the hell he was talking about, and, and, and learn and how to... The- at the time, was that Est? It was. It was called yeah, Est. Yeah. And now it's uh, Life's, not LifeSpring. It's called Land- Landmark, Landmark Forum. Landmark, Landmark Forum. Forum. So that was a very significant <laughs> moment in my life because when I went and did the, the actual seminar, oh, by the way, in those days, it was, there was a six-month wait to get into it. There'd been a lot of articles and time magazine and life magazine and all these magazines all these movie stars were doing it so it was a six-month wait and i wasn't waiting so i called him up and i said look you know at the time i was working in the travel business i said you got to have no shows 
So how about if I just show up and stand by? Now, that made them laugh because they didn't have any you know, concept of that. So I just showed up on the next Saturday at the thing. And the woman, I was 19 at the time and there was nobody even close to my age doing this thing. It was all older people, you know, right. older was 30 at the time. But anyway, she, she just, she just kind of took a liking to me and liked my persistence. And she said, okay, you really want to do this thing, huh? And I said, yeah. So in, in I went and I sat there and probably well, I, was, I got there early enough. I was in the first row and I was sitting there and I started talking to the gentleman next to me and I said, hi, what are you doing? And, you know, what, what brings you here? And what do you think? What do you think of this thing? And we all had name tags and I looked at his name tag and his name tag said, John Dean. I was sitting next to John Dean from Watergate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how, <laughs> how serendipitous is that? So I, I, he says, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, a lot of the reason I'm here is because of you. And he said, how so? And I said, well, I really thought that my life's calling was going to be politics. But after what I've seen from you, you folks, you know, if that's what's happening at the top of the chain, you can only imagine what it takes to get there. And I don't think I want to be in politics. I don't think I want to be anywhere near politics. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, I think that's a really wise decision. It's not a very good business to get into, particularly now. And I looked at him and I said, well, you've made up my mind. So I didn't. He says, yeah. So, I, you know, this thing it hadn't even started yet. And well, that's, you know, a great, that's a great starting for this book, you know, and, and I want to I want to get into it because you know, you have lots of stories to tell. This book is filled with stories. I want all my listeners to know that Kevin has put in lots of stories. That opening story was great. And you state, if we're interested in achieving almost unimaginable results, which is, you know, you look at S, that's where um, S at the time and Landmark Forum takes people because they change their perception of reality. Uh, You are somebody who has embraced that through your trips to India, through helping all kinds of people, for working with Mother Teresa, to understanding these elements. And my listeners know that. You know, all my listeners are pretty much in the same uh, lane, uh, that we must understand that breakthroughs require disruptions, right? So how do you help people get comfortable with the uncomfortable and unfamiliar so they can change things in their life? Because if you can't get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, you're not going to most likely change much in your life. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's not as hard as it sounds, and I don't mean it's easy because it isn't, but everybody wants things to be better. That's just our nature. So, you know, uh, Maslow laid it out pretty clearly that if you attain a certain level in life, the next level appears and it's available and attainable if you go after it and if you achieve certain things. So I noticed that for myself, that whenever I and whenever something really great happens, it's not that I'm not satisfied. It's just that I see that there's something more possible. So if you can kind of st- get one foot in, you got to first be satisfied with what you got. And at the same time, you have to be kind of what John Brown of uh, B 
BP used to say is never be satisfied. But I didn't mean don't be happy. Just never be complacent. Never, never rest on your laurels. So, and I think we, I think part of our nature is to do that. So everybody can see that there's something possible for them in their life, in the quality of their life, in the way they live their life, in the way they express their life, that is attainable. But to your point, you know, you have to disrupt it or you have to disrupt habits that have, you know, kind of got you set in your ways and have made you comfortable. So I don't know that anybody's ever comfortable with uncomfortable because, you know, it's like going to the gym. I, I just don't like doing it. it just, well, it, wouldn't, wouldn't one of the Buddhist uh, precepts, you know, I think, look, you you said disruption and then you said we always have to get better. So let's yeah. take those two things. And then in that process, there's a dissonance between better and where I am now. Yeah. And it, and one of the Buddhist precepts is non-attachment. Sure. So if you're attached to the outcome, that creates the dissonance. Mm-hmm. But if you're not so attached to the outcome, you can stay in the moment and achieve what you need to achieve. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the way you focus on that because it, in the Buddhist thing, it's like, okay, first, life is not perfect, and it never will be. Right. Two trying to make it perfect or trying to attain perfection is a source of suffering. So the first thing you got to get is life the way it is. And you got to get, you got to own that, but that doesn't mean accept and roll over. It's like you have to have one foot in this kind of whole and complete world. And then the other foot in that there's something more possible for yourself, for humans, for your family, for the people around you. Yeah, and- I, think, I think, though, adding to that, and I will, uh, pardon for interrupting, but there's suffering and then there's the end of suffering. Yeah. Right. And the end of suffering, tell listeners how you believe we get out of suffering. Well, I think it's back to what you were pointing at, which is a profound acceptance of What's so mm-hmm. of the way it is? But that's what this professor was talking to you about. Yeah, it sure was. In, when you went in to ask the first time, because you didn't <laughs> understand what he was talking about. What he was saying is really not contrary, but the mind has a really hard time sticking it. It's like, okay, I hear what he's saying, but then I don't really get what he's saying, you know? And, you know, you you had this great opportunity to meet His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. I actually went to an event in Arizona. I didn't get to meet him, but I was there for the full event. And you stated in this in the book that this was one of your greatest gifts. What impact did he have on you? And what do you did you learn from him about Buddhism? Well, um, let me just describe a little bit about what what got me there and then and and then it was like what it was like to be with him because it what what it was like to be with him is what i took away from him so the energy uh, yeah, well yeah and and kind of what surrounds the energy too yeah so um uh, i was invited to uh 
come to, I got a letter saying you are scheduled to have an appointment with His Holiness the Dalai Lama on April 24th, way back when, and at two o'clock. And it, it, it arrived on Christmas Eve, which happens to be my birthday. So I opened it, I couldn't believe it, you know. And my, my mother and father were staying for Christmas. And my mother said, are you going to go? I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to go. Yeah. Well, they're so, Catholic. Maybe they didn't want you well, to go. <laughs> she asked me, she says, you know, he's not Catholic, right? And I said, yeah, <laughs> work the words out about that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> off we, so I, you know, I, I started planning on going. And so when we got to, he lives up in a very small community called Dharamsala in the kind of the base of the Himalayas in India. Yeah, where they were, they escaped in the fifties because the Chinese were threatening to torture and remove their culture. So the Dalai Lama escaped India, and he's been living in India in exile since 1955. Mm -hmm. So we get to the his residence. It's, it's a fairly large grounds, and uh, it, ironically, the very first thing they do is they bring you into a room and Indian army people with AK-47s do almost a strip search on you to go to go meet, you know, the most probably the most peaceful human being on, on the planet. Yeah. But it's just very ironic. But anyway, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I and I appreciate what that they're taking care of his security. So in we go. The Dalai Lama himself, his holiness had not, he'd been in silent meditation for six weeks. So he hadn't spoken to anybody really. And we were kind of first. So in he walks and he, you know, I mean, I've never met him. So it's kind of like the first thing he walks in kind of briskly and he says, welcome to our temporary home in Dharamsala, India since 1955. And he let out this big laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, so the first thing, you, the first thing you get is like, this guy, he's actually very funny. You know, he's got a great sense of humor. He's very funny. Yeah. He is. And, and so he, uh, so one of the things I took away to answer your question is, you know, the word enlightenment means, you know, to lighten up. And he certainly has lightened up. Um, there's not, not anything that you, we discussed while he would take it seriously, he wouldn't get significant, if you know what I mean. He he was yeah, he always he always has a tendency to laugh at the end of, exactly. a, of a statement because he wants to bring frivolity uh, yeah. to to the conversation. Yeah, well, that lightness adds to a certain deftness or a certain ability to navigate through life that you don't have when you're kind of stiff and tied to something and, or attached, as you said earlier. So, um, you know, we, we talked to him and he, he was very interested, very engaged and very curious. He asked us a lot of questions. He was interested in learning. So the second thing, the first thing I got was the lightening up thing. The second thing is I was struck by how curious he was genuinely interested genuinely wanted to know where we came from and what we thought and so forth. So that was the second thing. Then the third thing was um, this really bothered me. My, my friend Brooks, who was with me 
asked him this question. It was like the best question. I was so jealous that I hadn't asked this question. <laughs> and it was simple as hell, but he asked the question. He said, your holiness, what do you consider to be the greatest gift in life? And there was this moment and, you know, you would think he has that kind of as a stat answer, right? And he said that he stopped and he said, that's a really good question. And he scratched his head and he thought about it. There's like one Mississippi, two, you know, and then he said, okay, I know the answer without a question. The greatest gift in life is compassion. And that was right at the end of the meeting. So that was kind of when we walked out with that, you know, kind of, okay, so Humor, be with that. don't be attached, uh, be curious. Um, and the greatest gift is to be compassionate. And I would say that's true. You know, I mean, you look at, I have a, a, a thing hanging over in the other side of this room that has uh, his quotes on it. But really, when you look at it, it's all about compassion. You know, can I share? Can, can I share with you how that, that made an impact on me? Because that, that was part of your question. Sure. So I look. I you know, I I've spent a lot of time looking inward, if you will. But I don't think I really knew what compassion was. So I went out and I I literally looked it up in the dictionary. I was like, what is this thing that's the greatest gift in life? Because I didn't, you know, it's certainly not what I've been focused on. So I spent about a year, Greg, trying to be more compassionate, trying to get myself to get in people's world and sometimes, you know. At some point, about a, it took me about a year for this thing to hit me over the head. The whole time, I would beat myself up for not being more compassionate. I was very tough on myself. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I have very high standards for myself. So I could give somebody else a break, but I'd never give myself a break. And I realized, it took me about a year, that if I didn't have compassion for myself, if I didn't have room for me to not be perfect, then I had no business trying to be compassionate. That's because it wasn't real compassion. So I, I discovered that one of the things you have to incorporate or embrace is self-compassion. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the greatest you, gifts you I've to, ever you, gotten. You have to love yourself. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. And that's not from an ego standpoint. That's from a standpoint of having true love for yourself, yeah. for who you are and your contribution. You know, my nonprofit is called Compassionate Communications Foundation. Yeah. So what we do is we help the homeless uh, and the compassion by giving to them things they need. And I yeah. think you did this as well with Mother Teresa. You, you ended up going to India and doing some work for the mission, mm -hmm. right? Um, just a just for just for a short time. I wasn't there very long, but yes. Well, it was that you wrote about it in the book. But one of the things that I think people can learn from you, because every one of these chapters has another story, it has another theme, it has an it's it's great because it's stories from common people and it's stories about you and like the stories you've just told. And I think learning from stories is so valuable. But you mentioned that integrity, you know, when you talk about the Dalai Lama probably uh, most integritous person around. It's very important. And you did some coaching with a woman 
by the name of Sarah Cook Flato. Uh, and you talked about how hard it was. Um, what did this coaching or the, the coaching she did with you uh, do for you that changed your life? And as a result of this intense coaching, what did you change and how did you change? Yeah. Well, fundamentally what I discovered now, I probably knew this conceptually, but it's very different to discover it. Really. I discovered that I'm responsible for my life, that the circumstances in my life, the quality of my life, how I relate to my life, how I see my life, how I see myself, that's all on me. And I have something to say about all of that. And I don't think I knew that like real access to it before I took this, did this intense coaching, which by the way, our firm still offers because it made such a huge difference for me and our clients. So I shifted from having anything or anyone to blame or to assign cause to in my life to beginning to own every bit of it, every bit of it. And uh, that produced that one thing produced an explosion in my life that impacted the quality of my life, the circumstances in my life, the way I live life, my mood, lots of things. Because when when you, when you're the one causing it, it start you have more power. And I don't mean power like force. I mean power like you're you're at you're at, at peace in a different way. So something shifted for me. In I'm going to share a, a story from Sarah had this thing with me that I. Had, I, I agreed to, you know, when I came to the sessions that I, w- you know, I wouldn't have caused upsets or I wouldn't be upset or like, you know, so I had to kind of sort my life out before I got to the session. And I came to the thing and she said, how are you doing? And she said, are you upset? And I said, yeah. And she said, what are you upset about? And I said, in those days, uh, voicemail was around. A boss of mine had left me a voicemail and he said that he was disappointed in me. that infuriated me how i worked my butt off for this guy how dare he be disappointed you're disappointed in me so i went in there and i started i started ranting and and sarah asked me she has this like butter you know she said well you you are kind of a disappointment aren't you and i was like what it's like and i looked and i said well yeah she said, who have you disappointed? I said, well, I've disappointed my parents. I've disappointed my, you know, mm-hmm. and I started going down the list. It's like, God, I disappoint everybody. <laughs> and I started laughing uncontrollably. I mean, it was just like, I, because all of a sudden it wasn't the voicemail. It wasn't what he said. It was over here. And when I could own that and be responsible for that and get and lighten up about it, it was gone. Yeah. And it was and it was gone forever. It was just an amazing insight to have. Um, and all she all she did was she said, well, you are kind of a disappointment, aren't you? <laughs> so anyway. Well, you know, perspective again, you know, the forum, what you went through, it teaches integrity as a as a big part of the course. You yep. know, you are your word. Uh, you are your word. 
And I think it's, it's really, um, it's really important, you know, um, that, that people keep their word and do it with grace. Uh, you know, there's no point to have anger uh, in that situation. And you tell an interesting story. And I thought this was because I've been in this similar spot as you. At the time, you were like a speaker. You were out doing gigs. You were going around. You were in New York. And, you know, these guys that set up the stages and do the lighting and do all that kind of stuff and put the stools out and all that. I remember reading it. Plus, same thing happened to me. The union guys wanted 15000 And then you ran into this guy that said put three $500 envelopes together um, and give it to me and I'll make sure this happens. Now, can you tell now when you talk about integrity, this is an interesting story. Can you tell the story and what you learned about how to do business? Now you say do business in New York, which is this fast paced, uh, always on money environment. And I think the point to the story you need to tell the listeners is what happened. Because I well, thought, I, yeah, I thought as I was reading it, you were going to get duped. Yeah, I really thought I you were going to get. I wasn't sure how that was going to turn out. <laughs> um, so if you remember, I wrote. So um, I, it, it was. It was. I wasn't speaking. Werner Erhard was speaking. I was producing the event for him, ah. and so it was a big deal. I mean, Madison Square Garden is a huge, you know, facility, and it's a big deal to be there. And they bring me into this room, and it's got the pro probably about 15 people from different departments and all the people that run the facility, the venue. And they say, they're asking questions like, okay, do you want lights? Yes. Okay. Then you have to hire the lighting guy and you have to hire the manager of the lighting department. And every time they'd ask me a question, I'd say yes, except pyrotechnics. But, you know, so I end up with five people I have to hire to do the thing and five people that have to be the manager of the guy doing the thing, mm -hmm. even though I was bringing in my own lighting, I was bringing in my own sound, I was bringing in my own stagehand. So out we go. And this fellow, this fellow was in the, in the meeting. He, his name is Tony, puts his arm around me and he says, Hey, Kev, come here for a second. I like you, you know, it just, I mean, it's, it's, it was like a scene from a movie. <laughs> and he, he says to me, he says, yeah, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that whole thing in there. You know, they're going to give you this bill for, what, $15,000. He goes, I can make all that go away. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm, the acts, I'm, I'm imitating pretty good. And he says, here's what you got to do. You just got to show up tomorrow and give me four white envelopes. Each one's $500, okay? And all that goes away. You won't get a bill because I'll see to it. And um, I didn't know what quite to make. Again, like you said, is this is this for real? Is this is this guy really doing this? Is he part of this? Or so um, I, I, I sorted myself out and I said, I better do this. I think I think this is how it works here. So even though there's that whole thing that I just went in, I think this is what really happens. Right. So I called the controller of the company who was Miss Goody Two Shoes. And I said, uh, Patricia, it's before ATMs and all that. And I said, Patricia, I need um, $2,000 and you should wire me $2,000. And she started asking all questions. And uh, uh, what I remember Patricia saying is, is this legal? 
And I said, at this point, I don't know if it's legal or not. I'm worried about getting whacked. <laughs> like, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what Tony is going to do, right? So she wired the money to me. She said, I, I need a receipt. And I said, yeah, I don't think Tony gives receipts. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, the next morning I showed up. You know, I just did what he said. I showed up and he says, you got the, and I said, it did. Mm-hmm. handed it out. I said, what do you guys, all his guys were there and half of them were, you know, relatives and so forth. And um, I said, what are you going to do? He goes, you can do whatever you want here. We'll just take, you know, if you need something, just let us know. And he goes, it'd be nice if you got us some lunch. So, of course, I got him Italian sub sub sandwiches. But, um, yeah, it just I, what I discovered is there's a way to make something happen that's not the typical normal. This is the way you do something in New York. Things happen in a different way. Yeah. And it's got its own kind of integrity. Yeah. And trying to get it done the other way doesn't work. So, you know, I was just in Cabo San Lucas and we couldn't get reservations for Thanksgiving. And, you know, I said, hang on. Hang on. Everybody's all worked up about it. I said, hang on. I walked down there. I had $20 in my hand. I said, there's got to be something we can do. And it's amazing. A miracle happened. Right. But it turns out that if you have $20, you can get a reservation for dinner on Thanksgiving anytime you want. It's really, you you know, your story (laughs) brings a a lightheartedness to me. And I'm thinking my uncle had lived in Las Vegas for years and years, and he knew all the maitre d's. Sure. You'd you'd see all these lines of people waiting to get in these shows. (laughs) And we would show up with five or six of us. And my uncle would say, you know, look, just pass them all up. And they'd all be looking at us like, what the hell are you guys doing? How did they do that? You're passing us up. Then he walks to the front. He shakes this guy's hand. And in his hand, he's got a $100 bill. Yeah. He literally just puts it in his hand. And they take us right to the front of the stage. Right. Absolutely. And and all these other people like. Hell, we had tickets. We've been waiting in line. We've been doing all this. And then, you know, you're you're walking the front and you kind of feel a little bit embarrassed, but it was a great story. Now, these are learning lessons that people, I think, are going to learn from your book. But you speak about mistakes and learning lessons that we experience and the fact that we can process the pain and thus avoid making more mistakes, which is how we learn. The pain is the one I want to talk to. It. You cited Edison and Abraham Lincoln. Edison's 10,000 failures, Abraham Lincoln's running for office 67 times or whatever it was. What did you, why do you believe people need to understand about failure? I call them learning lessons, uh, mistakes. And why uh, are, should they embrace this, whether it's a mistake or you want to call it a failure, you want to call it a learning lesson, why should embrace that? Well, uh, fortunately, I learned what we're talking about because I've uh, had the good fortune to make lots of mistakes. So I've had lots of lessons to learn. Um, At some point, you start to realize that back to what we were talking about earlier, that life isn't perfect and it doesn't turn out perfectly. It doesn't turn out the way you thought it would be. Um. You know, I have a golf coach that kind of follows a little bit this kind of teaching. He's very, you know, I call him an enlightened golf coach. But he told me that 
one of the one of the most famous golfers was named Ben Hogan. Mm -hmm. And Ben Hogan said that golf is a game of mismanagement. In other words, you're either going to miss it way off to the right or way off to the left, but you get better by controlling the amount by which you miss. So you're never going to get it perfect. But if you can get it less miss or closer to the target, you tend to be more effective. So the, the first thing is get that you're never going to get it right the first time. You're never going to get it right every time. Second, every time you miss, there's a, there's a lesson. There's something to learn. There's something to discover about what had you miss that if you can correct it, you will get better or your performance will improve. So, you know, I, I there's a book out uh, that I read a few years ago called Failing Forward. And I think that mm -hmm. kind of captures what we're talking she was, about. She was on the show. Uh, oh, Gould. great. Yeah. Gould. Um, her last name is Gould. Her first name is uh, Elizabeth Gould. Yeah. Endorsed by Tony Robbins. You're yeah. taking feelings and you're moving them into the future. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost you... like it's almost, Kevin, like another lady was on here, wrote a book called the million dollar adjustment. And believe it or not, she works with baseball players. You know, it's the, you talk about golf, talk about baseball, talk about surfing. doesn't matter what it is. It's the minor adjustments that you make that actually help you hit a home run. Right. Yeah. But they're also the mental adjustments because right. many of the players that she coaches, like people you coach come from, environments where they were impoverished. I mean, you're looking at all these people coming up from Dominican yeah. Republic who are becoming baseball players, right? So, yeah. So that's my point. It's the adjustment. You're talking about Ben Hogan. I used to caddy uh, on Torrey Pines. Yeah. And I caddied for some pretty amazing people, but it is about the adjustment. So you've learned to live a balanced life, which includes time for yourself, your family, we all know the importance of living a balanced life, but can you tell our listeners about creating the kind of life and really learning to let go? Because in your book, you comment about kind of the amount of vacation time you take, the fact that you travel a lot. Uh, I thought all that was really quite interesting, but more importantly, what you're learning about it. And I think in this world today, we're always on fast paced. Everybody's trying to climb somewhere or get something. Um how do you, as maybe, I won't call you a minimalist, but if we were to say, hey, minimalist lifestyle and live without so much, um, still get the fulfillment inside and live this balanced life, what would you tell our listeners? Well, the first thing I would tell you is I, what, I do take a lot of vacations. I make a big point of it, but I also work my ass off. So I really work hard. And when I'm working, I work hard. And when I'm playing, I play hard. So number one, um, I would say, Greg, that there's two things you have to attend to. You have to attend to internal and external. Okay. So you got to take care of kind of your inner self and attend to, you know, kind of your spiritual self. You got to, and, and you also have to tend to yourself physically and mentally. So. Um, when I'm going to coach somebody, when I, so I coach executives all the time, I swear the very first thing I do is I say, let me see your calendar. 
and they open their calendar and I say, show me where you're spending time with your family. When are your vacations planned? And what are you doing in terms of developing yourself, you know, hobbies and that kind of thing? So show me your free time and show me what you're doing with that. And it's amazing. It, I mean, it's invariably, it's so missing. And the first thing I say to them is, if I'm going to coach you, the first agreement we're going to make is that you are going to take on living a balanced life. That means you, t- you attend to your family, you attend to, you know, your spiritual your church activities, and you take vacations. It's very important. It's very important for your well-being, and you will be more productive by doing that. And the, the thing they have to, so you talked about attachment, or the thing they have to get and let go of is that they are not indispensable. That, that if they leave for two weeks, no one's going to die. And it's, you got to kind of pry them out of it at some, at some point sometimes. So I practice what I preach. Day one, every January 1st, I get out of bed. First thing I do, I print out 12 months of calendar. I take one of these yellow things and I start yellowing out weeks where I'm going to go fishing this week. I go fishing on the same week with a bunch of guys every year. So I yellow that out. I go see Dave Matthews in a certain place every year on this. I just start yellowing it out. And pretty soon there's a lot of yellow. And I then enter it into my calendar. And then when my assistant comes in and wants to schedule me for something, those times aren't available so that she or he has to fill in whatever is available. And uh, I make, so it's my number one thing. I start with that. You know, when people coach you financially, they say, pay yourself first. Well, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, take your, take your time. Time's your most important asset and disperse of it intelligently, particularly and judiciously. And so when people do that, and they get their vacation all sorted out, they don't have to think about it anymore. It's like we're, we're going to Hawaii in July with the kids. Great. Terrific. So, and they have that to look forward to. And it's sort of like, boy, leading up to that vacation, sometimes it's like three more days and I'm out of here. You know. Yeah. So it, it, it turns out to be a real, you know, kind of a, a well-being thing. It's like, you know, I'm going to be fine because I'm out of here. So, well, I want to tell my listeners, uh, you know, go get this book because it's full of wisdom. It's full of insight. Um, it's been Kevin Collins been on the show with us today inside personal growth. Uh, the bit of wisdom that he just gave you about marking your calendar. Uh, if that's all you took away from this show, it was worth it. Uh, get your yellow highlighter out. You don't even have to wait till January 1. You could do it this month, December. Uh, but go pick up a copy of this. We'll have a link to the book. Uh, we'll have a link to Kevin's website. Uh, you can reach out to him through his website. I'm sure he'd be happy to speak with you. But again, Kevin Collin, the author of the book, uh, Swerve, Life-Altering Wisdom from Saints, Masters, and People Like You and Me. And that's truly so quick read. Uh, easy read. People go get the book. Kevin, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of 
your personal stories, which we got a lot of them, and some of the stories about the wisdom and advice you'd give people. Uh, I appreciate having you on. It's an honor and a privilege. Thanks. Really, really appreciate. And thank you for inviting me. And thanks for your listeners for listening. Namaste to you, my friend. Namaste to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again. And have a wonderful day.